Hey Trekkies and welcome to Trek Freaks, a part of Geek Freaks Podcast Family. In this podcast, we review episodes of Star Trek starting with the original series. My name is John, and I'll be one of your hosts, joined by my good friend and co-host, Kevin. Hey. So, Kevin, uh, what episode are we reviewing today? Today we are talking about episode two, Charlie X. Nice. And... Yeah, this this episode is a little different for me. I, I'll I'll just put this out there right now in advance. It was a little bit of a hard one for me to get through. We'll get into reasons why later, but yeah, this one wasn't as it didn't hit me as hard as the rest of them have so far. I, I like it. I think we're going to agree on a lot of this. Uh, before we dive <laughs> into our recap and review, I got a question for you. Oh. Of the TOS Enterprise crew, who would make the best roommate? You had your choice. Oh man! Oh man! I, I'm. I can give you time my to think immediate about it reaction. No, I, I've got an immediate reaction. I'm going to stick All with right, it. Like it. I'm going to go with Spock. Oh, I think Spock would be the best. Okay. He's he's logical. He's detail oriented. So I figure like dishes would be done. He he would do his own cleaning. I'd do my own cleaning. Um, maybe the whole cooking dinner for one another would be a little different because. Vulcan cuisine's probably a little bit different than mm-hmm. Earth, but yeah, I I think Spock would be the easiest to live with overall. And I've had some some good and some bad roommate experiences. I think Spock would probably be the best out of all the <laughs> out of all the TOS cast. Nice, I agree. He characters. would be very uh, logical, so I'm sure like rent would be paid on time no matter what, and he'd stay nice and quiet. He'd probably go to his room and read more often than not. Oh yeah, he might have a good chess game going all the time. <laughs> Uh, my choice, because on the flip side, I'm not very organized or clean, and you know, the people I live with always complain about me leaving a mess behind and stuff. So I could see that being a problem. Uh, so I would want Ahura. I imagine she's the life of the party. She's always singing, wants to dance, and stuff like that. So she would have friends over. We would invite friends over and have, you know, barbecues and house parties and stuff all the time. So I think she would be the most fun. Might turn into a little chaos every once in a while, but it'd be lively. That. See, th- there's a, there's a balance there. I think we both picked a different extreme. <laughs> I picked the 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 boring one that wouldn't want to do anything. You picked the one that would always want to be doing something. Mm-hmm. I I wonder if somebody like McCoy or Scotty or Sulu would be a better choice <laughs> rather than one of the extremes. Right. <laughs> Probably. Oh well, I'm sticking with Spot. I like it. All right, let's get into our recap and review. All right, so our opening scene, we meet Charlie, right? Uh, the cargo vessel Antares uh, beams beams aboard the captain and Charlie and another crewman. Um, and so they explain to Kirk that they have this castaway. Uh, his name's Charlie Evans. Uh, he grew up alone on this planet where everyone was killed. Uh, so he, he seemed to have to survive on his own. Uh, and he seems really eager to be on this ship and is fascinated with everything he sees. Uh, and then he makes his weird eye roll right away uh, when the guys are talking about him and he's behind Kirk's back. Um, so that was kind of weird. And then we see that he's never seen a female before. He runs into Yeoman Rand when they are taking him down the hall. And he's like, wait, is that a girl? And uh, so he's a little, a little odd and out of place. <laughs> I, I actually wrote that down. The, is that a girl? <laughs> yeah. uh, quote that, that, that definitely stood out. Yeah. <laughs> definitely stood out. But, the first question he asked, I think, 
was how many crew members are on board the Enterprise. Or maybe he made note that there are 428 passengers on the Enterprise because he's been away from people for so long yeah. that he, he wanted to know how many people were going to be around him. And I wrote that down, too, because like, I think I think in different Star Treks, I've heard different numbers based on like you know different episodes of, of a series. So I want to see if that holds up. Do they usually maintain about 428 or does that randomly fluctuate by a lot? Uh, depending on the episode. Oh, that's a good idea. See, I was thinking about that too, because compared to like a, a later version of the Enterprise, I think the Enterprise D had like a thousand yeah. or more people. And then you got Little Voyager only has 150. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Voyager's that small compared to the Enterprise, the original Enterprise. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, all right, so we see Charlie starts to explore a little bit. Uh, he's obviously a little awkward. He gives uh, Yeoman Rand a gift um, that he may have materialized. She explains that this is really rare. How did you get this? And he doesn't, he doesn't explain how. He just says, well, it's a gift. You're supposed to like it, right? Um, and he smacks her ass and then she says, hey, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to do that. It's not okay. And he doesn't understand, but um, he, uh, she tells him, go ahead and talk to Kirk or Bones. They'll explain uh, why that's not okay, right? Yeah, he he saw uh, he saw two male crew members talking before that, and one of them spanked the other one as they were as he was walking away, like a friendly, uh, "Hey, I'll catch you later" type thing. So he thought that doing that to Rand was going to be like a friendly, "Hey, I'll see you later" thing, yeah. just a social unawareness. Yeah, he'd been away from people for say fourteen years, I think. Yeah, well, because he isn't he fourteen years? Oh no, he's seventeen. Yeah, he's seventeen years old. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, he must have spent 14 years out of that in solitude. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, does he have video games? <laughs> uh, all right. So then we see um, Kirk tells Bones to give him the talk uh, to explain the challenges of adolescence and stuff. Uh, they talk about uh, the. I'm probably going to say this wrong. The Thasians uh, that they lived on that planet at one point and. Uh, the planet Thasis. Um, so they're kind of concerned, like how did this kid survive on his own on this planet? And they kind of bounce that back and forth a little bit. Uh, but it seems like he couldn't really survive on the planet by himself because there's no uh, vegetation, I guess, or no, no not enough uh, naturally occurring food sources is what Spock explains. They, they want to try to teach uh, Charlie how to integrate to live life as a human. Then, uh, so then we move on to the galley, right? We see now, I don't know what this instrument was. I'm sure there's people yelling at the, at their phone or their podcast, I, but, uh, I meant to look it up and I'm sorry. I didn't I do know, it, <laughs> but it's a, looks like a harp, like a Vulcan harp of some sort that Spock is playing. When he's playing it, he smiles, which I'm like, okay, what's going on here? That's a little creepy. Spock's not supposed to smile. Though smiling isn't necessarily showing emotions. I mean, it, it kind of is, but uh, you could draw the line that it's to entertain or something like that, I guess. Yeah, I think we talked about it in the uh, when we were talking about the cage because they kept him smiling in a scene in that and then used that scene later on. And I didn't realize that there was actually another time that he smiled until I watched this episode again. Yeah. So, yeah, that was. But this wasn't like a, a happy smile. This is like a like, almost like a devilish smile. Yeah. And I think the the song that Uhura starts singing along 
<laughs> to Spock's playing is talking about him as if he's this devilish guy that Spock is a he's a sly character and uh, he he just worms not worms his way but he uh, he, he uh, there's a word that I'm trying to think like of that I can't manipulative sort of yeah uh, other people tend to really like him. And it's because he's so mysterious and people don't know a whole lot about him. I think that was basically the, the intent of the song. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Um, so what do you think about uh, just seeing Spock, a Vulcan based in logic, playing an instrument, a musical instrument that is for art? Um, I was surprised to see that. I don't know how I understand in our culture, uh, most people who play instruments, it's, it's kind of like a sophisticated thing, I think. I think we tend to think if someone could play a violin or piano, they're smarter than the average bear. Uh, do you think that's why they show Spock playing an instrument or is there something in it that's logical too? I, I think they showed it because they were trying to give him a little bit of depth, okay. but I'm thinking I'm going to spin this in a Vulcan way. I'm thinking that uh, Vulcans that are also, talented musically they're showing that that's the way that they let their emotions out rather than actually physically or emotionally they let it out through song and spock being part human he probably has a, a, a higher adeptness there's a word there too but uh, he's probably more adept to that than than most other vulcans i would i would imagine okay i could see that i like that i know there's been uh, references to vulcan poetry uh, before, at least on that I know on Voyager, um, so they do have some you know working in the arts, I guess. But that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I do like that harp. That is pretty a... awesome looking, unique looking uh, instrument. Very, very alien, unique looking. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it, in this scene, um, with Uhura singing, it was actually originally written that she was going to be like miming along to Spock. But the uh, they changed it on set or during the writing process or something to show off Nichelle Nichols' singing talent. I thought that was really cool. A little tidbit of trivia there for you. That's pretty cool. I do like that they they. I mean, pretty, I know I've seen in other episodes too. She sings and you know to take an actor's natural ability and kind of write it into the character. It's a great addition to her character as it is, being that she's a, a linguist and communication specialist. You know, she you know has to communicate all the time, and it's a you know, a form of communicating in a lot of races too, a lot of species. Uh, so that's kind of kind of a cool feature that she has, ability she has. Yeah, I didn't even put those two <laughs> together. <laughs> uh, so we see her and Spock are singing, or or she's singing, uh, and and she's she when Charlie enters, she sings about Charlie. And at first, everyone's you know amused and whatnot, but then Charlie doesn't like what the song is saying. So you notice all of a sudden her and Spock are like muted. It's like she lost her voice and his instrument it doesn't make noise anymore. Uh I think that was I think that was our first like notable or visible sign of Charlie's abilities, right? He did the little eye roll earlier, but um Yeah, the weird thing is they didn't really highlight it or mention it. I thought that was that was strange. I mean, they showed Uhura like grabbing her throat like she was trying to talk or sing or something. But they didn't talk about that later on at all. Yeah. And I think maybe it was meant that the, the crew de didn't really recognize that. They thought, you know, oh, they, the two are just 
stopped playing their song or Ahura, you know, got something in her throat. And so we're supposed to kind of play along too, like, oh, that was kind of odd, but we still don't really understand what's going on until later in the episode. Uh, so it gives us a little time to develop that, our, our, our thesis of what, what he's doing. Yeah, his card tricks kind of add to that too, changing a few like cards from a deck of cards into pictures of Rand, which was super creepy, but she was, she was impressed. The rest of the crew seemed impressed by it. He's uh, actually trying to start integrating in with the crew a little bit with that while showing his weird affection for Yeoman Rand. That was definitely creepy because they weren't just like regular, you know, school yearbook pictures either. They're like, you know, her posing in like, you know, lingerie or something like that, right? Or or a nightgown or something. I don't don't remember. I think, I thought it was her her uniform, but like a skirt uniform. Yeah, you're probably. Maybe. Either way, it was, yeah, creepy to all of a sudden have a bunch of pictures of the person that you're talking to. Uh, but I don't remember posing like that for you. <laughs> <laughs> How did you Weird. get these? But yeah, like you're saying, she's more <laughs> intrigued that he's able to seemingly magically make these cards change. Uh, I mean, and any illusion that you can't explain, you're like, wow, you know, that must be real magic. But you have to just kind of assume like, well, they're just, they're being more tricky than I can perceive. Uh, but we learn that this guy's got all kinds of abilities that uh, we can't explain. So he's obviously changing the faces of the cards. And he even says these are some tricks that he learned from the guys on the Antares. Uh, so to let people believe that these are just illusions and not actual magic. Um, Strangely, he was able to come up with such a convincing lie so quickly about it. Yeah. Though, with his, you usually see somebody that's able to lie like that off the top of their head as somebody who's socially manipulative and usually somebody who's been away from people for so long doesn't have that skill. So that was, that was strange. Yeah, a little bit out of character. Yeah. Uh, so after this, we find that the Antares was was lost, right? The Antares hails uh, the bridge, hails Enterprise, uh, but they're it sounds like they're on the very edge of comms range. They they got as far away as they could before they call back, and they, they you know we understand they want to explain that hey Charlie's not normal. You know you guys have got to be careful. He's got these abilities, but before the signal can get through, before they can actually make out what's being said, their their signal's lost, and they end up finding just debris. Right, the ship was destroyed. Yeah, it seemed like Charlie knew what had happened because the camera focused on him and then you see him walk away with that, that smirk on his face. He, he kind of knows what was going on there. Yeah, I think he even explained at one point, like, oh yeah, the, the ship was really old or, or of poor design or something like that. And they're like, what do you mean? Do you think the ship was destroyed? And it was kind of like uh, obvious that he, he knew before they did that, that the ship was destroyed. Yeah, it was gonna it was gonna be destroyed sooner or later, anyway, or something like that. I think. Yeah. So we move on after that. We see them playing 3D chess. Uh, Kirk and Spock are playing 3D chess. Now I know they sell these chess boards, but I've never even looked into how to play. Have do you know how to play 3D chess? No, I have not (laughs) looked into it because I've been too afraid. Right. That looks really complicated. Like I love a good game of chess, but I don't. uh, That's a whole nother whole nother ball game. That would be. It'd be interesting to learn someday, though. That'd be kind of fun. Uh, but we see right away, we see that Kirk beats Spock in, in their first game. And it's kind of funny to me because uh, Kirk, Kirk says, well, it's because of his illogical approach. Like, because the moves you do don't make sense is why you're able to outwit me in, in your chess game. Um, which I kind of like. And it shows this kind of power struggle or, you know, I guess, yeah, power struggle between the two of them where Kirk's 
proving he can be smarter or more logical in an illogical way, I guess. Yeah, it's, it, logic isn't always the best option. Exactly. There you go. That's a better way to put it. Um, so then Charlie enters and sees him playing and, and wants to play, I guess. He plays against Spock, and he loses pretty quickly. Spock even points out, like, oh, that's a bad move, and and he puts up a checkmate. Uh, Spock leaves, Charlie's mad, and he melts all the pieces. So then we see again, like, oh, crap, he can just make his weird eye roll thing, and all these all the white pieces were melted. Yeah, so at this point, his what we're seeing of his powers is getting pretty, uh, it's getting destructive. Like, we see that he's able to destroy things, and I, I think that calls back to what happened with the Antares uh, transmission being cut off. Goes from uh, changing cards <laughs> the face of a, of a card to possibly destroying a ship to melting solid pieces from a chessboard. Um, we don't really know what his powers are capable of, but we see him getting angry and losing his temper here, which is a, a sign of things to come. Yeah. Then we see, uh, so he leaves and he runs into Yeoman Rand, who wants to introduce him to a girl named Tina. This girl's closer to his age, so Rand's like, heck yeah, let's kind of uh, pair him up with somebody that's not me and see if they hit it off, right? Kind of break that awkward uh, tension between them and everything. Uh, but he's not interested at all. He actually like dismisses Tina and explains that he's you know, more or less obsessed with Yeoman Rand. Uh, and she goes and expresses her concerns to Captain Kirk. So he's like, hey, I need you to get involved in this, right? Yeah, uh, Rand was afraid that she was going to have to hurt uh, hurt Charlie by turning him down and he's probably never been turned down before because he's never had these social interactions in his past so she wants Kirk to talk to him so that Kirk can kind of steer Charlie away from Rand and maybe go more toward somebody his own age something that's a little more appropriate for somebody yeah. with his uh, social skills or lack thereof and just to you know pump the brakes and slow down a little bit yeah 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 <laughs> Uh, so then Kirk tries to give him like the talk more or less, right? He explains that Rand's not the one for him. Uh, and Charlie's devastated right away. He's, he, you know, bursts out with emotion and is like, you know, why? Why does it have to be this way? And um, He doesn't know how to go on. Uh, but Kirk tells him, hang on tight and survive. I think he says like, that's, that's what we all have to do or something like that. Which I thought was kind of a interesting mantra or way to, to look at it. Just got to. Life gets tough, but you just got to hold on. It's like, keep calm and carry on. You got to put your head down and, and keep going. Uh, yeah, it seems like he was talking specifically about relationships, but I, I couldn't tell. Do you think he was talking like life lessons in general or just about like love? Yeah, I think he was talking about life in general because he did mention, uh, you know, out there there's a million things you can't have and a million you can, and it's hard to face the ones that you can't have. But uh, that's, you know, life. That's how life is. And you just got to hang on so i think it's you know if you want a certain career or you know you want to be a billionaire or whatever i don't know whatever it is in life you want you can't always get everything you want but on the other side there's a million things that you can have you just have to reach for them kind of thing so after this uh we see kirk brings him to the gym they don't explain anything about that except you know the we know that uh, physical activity is good for your mental health to kind of help you clear your mind and uh, so I think that's why he was taken there, just kind of bond a little bit with the kid and help kind of clear his mind of what's been going on. 
uh, and they they tussle a little bit. They they practice these you know aerobics or whatever they do. Um, but then this other crewman laughs at Charlie. Charlie gets mad, and all of a sudden that crewman disappears. Charlie makes him disappear, uh, and Kirk orders him to his quarters. They have this little little power struggle. Um, the security comes in. Their phasers disappear. And then Kirk knows he can't really control this kid, but being the intimidating father figure or adult that he is, he's able to order him to go to his room. This is also the first time we see Charlie be like actually hostile towards anybody. Made a crewman disappear and uh, all the phasers. Actually, yeah, they report it was all the phasers on the ship disappeared at the same time. A couple things to unpack here, I think. Firstly, the the fact that Kirk actually took it upon himself to take Charlie down to the the gym or whatever to blow off some steam, mm-hmm. I thought that was weird because, I, not weird. It was it was good development because earlier in the episode he said he wanted or basically hinted that he wanted nothing to do with teaching Charlie how to live. Didn't want to be a father figure at all, even for a, a temporary on a temporary basis. But here he is teaching him how to take a bump mm-hmm. and trying to get him to blow off some steam. Uh, the other thing I thought was really great in this scene, and I know this is more analytical than story driven, but the the lighting when he's making the when Charlie makes the security guy's guns disappear, the phasers, the lighting is just it, dark. Everything's dark except his eyes, and it's just a great like evil character shot. I love. Yeah, it. I noticed they they do that back and forth between Kirk and Charlie. They have just that the highlight on the eyes, and this just kind of like intensifies the moment, right? Yeah, so it really brings out the the almost evil intent of Charlie while bringing out the the more charismatic qualities of Kirk. Mm-hmm. I thought that was, that was super cool. Yeah, it's like that that power struggle. Like no one's putting the hands on each other or or pulling weapons. The focus is all on the eyes. We just have to stare each other down. And if I can, you know, if I can intimidate this kid, I can keep him from acting out. But it's uh. You know, as we as we know, it's not going to last forever. For a show that's that's pretty cheesy in general. I thought this was this was great. The the drama here was great, and the lighting added so much to that scene. Yeah. Also, uh, a couple scenes ago, I think I skipped over it, where Charlie, uh, oh, shouts out like, "Why why does it have to be this way?" or whatever when he he wants to pursue Yeoman Rand. I liked his acting in that scene. I didn't you know mention it earlier, but it's it shows, you know, pr- compared to all the awkwardness that he has to play, he's actually able to emote pretty effective, like, you know, pretty convincingly. So I like that. Yeah, it, w- it wasn't a, an Anakin Skywalker <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars episode two scene. It was it was a little better yeah, than that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. So after this, we end up on the bridge. Uh, we see Kirk, Spock and Bones all debating if Charlie could be a Thasian uh, and and what to do with him, really. Because I guess Thasian, uh, Thasis was the planet that he was on, uh, and the Thasians, they talked about it briefly, but they had, they had weird abilities, so the fact that he has these abilities kind of makes him wonder. Um, Charlie admits he comes onto the bridge, and he does admit that he did destroy uh, the Antares. Uh, he stops the crew from changing courses, and then uh, Kirk uh, intimidates him again, kind of stares him down, and gets him to leave, presumably going back to his quarters, but we find out he doesn't. His reasoning for destroying the Antares was uh, very childlike. He says that they weren't nice to me. I thought that was uh, that was perfect 
for getting in the character for it is perfect for that character because of how young he is emotionally yeah very juvenile and response they, they weren't nice to me exactly yeah super juvenile response uh, they weren't nice to me so i destroyed them. yeah i killed 20 science you know explorers or whatever uh because they were they were being mean like oh that's that's not nice <laughs> and then kirk asks after that what about us charlie and charlie says i don't know yeah so that's a little bit of a, a hanging threat there yeah like okay so we got to do something about this kid because he has more power than we understand and he destroyed a ship with just thinking about it so that really kind of puts a nail in the coffin there uh so we see charlie goes on a bit of a rampage right he leaves the bridge he turns tina as soon as he sees her in the hallway turns into a lizard uh which was pretty messed up uh, he forces his way into yeoman rand's uh room which you know door was locked he unlocks it with his brain i guess um and tries to make her love him. Uh, Kirk and Spot come there right away because she was smart enough to turn on her, her communicator. Um, she slaps him and he makes her disappear. Which is like, dude, you know, you gotta learn about love. You can't just, if you like this girl, you can't just make her disappear, right? Uh, then they attempt to confine him to his quarters. They escort him back, try to put him in his room. And what's he do? He just makes the whole wall disappear. It's like, good luck, guys. I can make any part of the ship disappear if I wanted to, including the outer hole, if you guys challenge me enough um he makes a young woman look old he turns a laughing crewman to faceless um and so he's just kind of going around creating all this havoc right yeah the the best part of this i i was trying to find myself in my notes that's why i was so silent for <laughs> no, a while but um <laughs> the best part of this was uh when Kirk asks Spock a question on the bridge, and he's like, yes, Captain, there is a tiger, tiger burning in the night, in the forest of the night, <laughs> burning right in the forest of the night. It starts quoting poetry. <laughs> it's hilarious to me as a viewer, but it's also hilarious to Charlie, who's making him do this. Yeah. Yes, sir, there's a tiger, tiger burning bright in the forest of the night. Trying to Saturn rings around my head down a road that's Martian red. Yeah, he's like manipulating him kind of like a puppet master, right? Making him recite poetry. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> I actually wrote that all out because I just thought it was I, I had to rewind it and play it like three times because of how hilarious I found it. So I I'd probably be a terrible person if I had Charlie's abilities. <laughs> that's true. That would be it'd be hard not to though. I think we'll find that out later. Anybody with power like this would eventually you know, try to entertain themselves or eventually do bad things with it. Right. Uh, so once they're on the bridge, Charlie, like you're saying, he's playing puppet master over Spock. He uh, sets a course for Colony 5, which I'm not sure if they were already en route or not, but I know they say there that he sets the course for it. Uh, and then Kirk makes a plan. They realize that he's running the whole ship now. Charlie's running it all with his powers, uh, but he hasn't extended himself much more recently so they think that he's like tapped out he's maxed out his abilities so they start turning on every system in the ship let's run all the scanners and sensors and whatever that we don't need right now let's turn them all on and make him really overextend himself uh so that he then can't pay attention or he'll be weak and can't use his powers you know uh, on them directly uh and it works right i mean they they're able to land a couple sucker punches on him and and get him disoriented uh, but we see that didn't last for too long, right? Yeah. Um, it, while that was going on, he, Charlie was blocking a 
a message from the colony, I believe is how that went. Yes. He was blocking a message from the colony, and they thought they were going to be able to distract them long enough to be able to get that message because they weren't receiving it. The Enterprise wasn't receiving it. Yes. And I don't remember how the how that correlated, but the, the Thasians arrived, right? We end up seeing the green energy ship. Was that were they the ones sending that initial message? I don't remember. <laughs> okay. So we see uh, after after they distract Charlie, and I think they were able to uh, read the sensor readings or whatever. They see the green like energy ship. It ends up on the on the display too, uh, outside of their ship, and I'm pretty sure Spock's the one that says that this is the Thasians, uh, which we didn't realize before are a fully energy based people, which makes more sense why they were. Um, debating whether or not Charlie could even be a Thasian because they're energy-based. Uh, but then one of them kind of beams aboard or or transmit, transmits a message onto the bridge where it's, you know, like a green head floating. Uh, but he explains that they gave Charlie these abilities to help him survive, uh, but they didn't realize pretty much that it was going to go down this way, so they're going to try to correct everything that he's done, you know, put everything back the way it was, and pretty much take him out of there and bring him back to their, their society, right? Yeah, they're, the Thesians are saying that, uh, Ch- that Charlie's too dangerous to be on the Enterprise with his powers. And That's what it was. Charlie tries begging Kirk to keep him, to keep him there. Kirk being the, the man he is and Starfleet being what they are, Kirk's pretty conflicted about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he doesn't want to hurt Charlie by forcing him to go but he also doesn't want to endanger his entire crew and anybody else that they come across in their, their, uh, their journeys. So he doesn't really know what to do here. Yeah, and we do see in other Star Treks that uh, a situation like this that where the captain is more or less obligated to offer or to yeah to offer asylum uh, to the the person that's being taken away, depending on the, the situation, and then they have to go through like a trial or something like that. But I guess this didn't qualify for that kind of uh reaction i guess or protection i i think it would have if if star trek was a little bit more if the lore was more developed at that time i think it would have affected it a bit more but charlie didn't want to go simply because there's no one for him to love there's no one for him to touch there's there's nothing there for him except the life that he can make for himself with his new abilities and he doesn't want that yeah uh but yeah so they they Beam him away. I mean, with the same visual effect of him making other people disappear. Uh, we presume they have the exact same powers he does, or greater. And then they fly away, and all of the crewmen that had disappeared were back. And Enterprise gets to carry on as normal, right? Yeah, that's the key there. <laughs> the Enterprise gets to carry on. The Antares is still destroyed. yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> they they weren't so yeah, lucky. They even explained that like yeah, it's, it was too late. We. We didn't realize this was all going on over here, so we couldn't save the Antares, but we'll help you guys out. That last little scene where the where we're seeing all the crew's faces on the bridge, you see uh, Yeoman Rand crying, and uh, Bones and Uhura look relieved that Charlie's gone, but Kirk's face, he's just, he's still con- conflicted, even though he didn't have the choice. He didn't get the say-so at the end of the day to whether or not Charlie was going to stay or go. Yeah, and it's kind of hard because in the end, he's still, you know, a, a teenage kid, doesn't really know what's going on in his life. He just has too much power that he shouldn't have, and it it kind of 
messed up his chances. If he was just a regular teenage kid on the ship, it would have been fine, and they could have coached him to be, you know, an adult. And then by the time they get to the colony, he might be able to blend in with society. But having that much power is actually a detriment to him. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that that was the the moral of the the episode as well. Is that how do I want to phrase this? <laughs> I took it straight out of Spider Man. With great power comes great responsibility. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's, I think that hits the nail on the head. But also there's the little the sub moral, I suppose, mm-hmm. of what's, why have all the power in the universe if you have no one to share it? With? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, because he has all that power he talks living about- with those, the alien race, but he doesn't like it because there's nobody to like touch or, or engage with or interact with. Yeah, the fact that he fell deeply in love with the first woman he ever saw yeah. <laughs> shows how how much that meant to him, the the need to love something or somebody to have somebody to share a life with. So, mm. yeah, it's pretty deep. I yeah, I, talking about the episode, I guess I liked it a little bit more than I realized or I like it now a little bit more than I realized yeah. in execution. So honestly, now now that we're through the, the plot and everything. The thing that bothered me the most was his eye roll. It was just the way he like rolls back his eyes and that's how he influences his power on somebody or or something like that. It it just, it seemed, it seemed silly. It seemed comical. It was just kind of. I guess I didn't, I didn't really get that impression because I'm a a fan of pro wrestling and I've (laughs) seen the undertaker for years. (laughs) He does the same exact thing. So I guess I didn't really notice it. So I, yeah, I even put in my notes, like if they just did a a little energy sparkle or something like that over his eyes, instead of him doing that, I think it would have played out a whole lot better to me because yeah. it, it wouldn't seem, it would just seem like, oh yeah, he's got magic, not he's getting a migraine or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, funny. See, well, we did see some, some good character development in this episode too with, um, I love that scene with Spock and Ahura playing music together. Uh, we see Spock smile like we talked about earlier. Uh, and that chess game between uh, Kirk and Spock kind of setting up that that uh, ongoing, that friendship, but that power struggle between, you know, like you said, um, how being logical isn't always the the best best way or there's sometimes better ways to win. So that was kind of yeah. good development. It's a bit of a bit of a friendly rivalry. There you go. The you got good words. I like your words. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's funny though that they did that with Kirk in this episode, and I know they need to because Kirk's the main character, Spock's the other main character mm-hmm. of the show. In fact, they're both of the the actors that play them. They're the only two that are in the opening credits of the show. But we see as time goes on that Bones and Spock have more of a r- friendly rivalry than it seems Kirk and Spock yeah. do. But yeah, it was great character development in this one. I man, I I did like this episode. I guess, <laughs> shit, man. <laughs> I know it, it's it's hard because the story was a little odd. Um, I don't I don't care for stories that end like this, where we go on this this wide chase where there's something really bad going down, and then somebody comes and like that they can correct everything. Oh, yep, nope, everything's okay. We're gonna take this crazy threat that could have killed you any any minute. And we're just going to solve all your problems and you guys carry on. It's like, come on. They, 
I like when the crew can solve their own problem or at least to some extent. Maybe they hail these aliens and call them over to come help or something, but uh, it's just kind of a reset button sometimes. That's a really good point. The struggle of the episode should be trying to figure out how to get the the, the, the Thesians, try to get them involved. Yeah. And try to make them care. They should have made the Thesians just not care about people that are beneath them about the humans. Yeah. And if they, that, that's a good point. If they, if they figured out how Charlie's controlling the systems and that they need to get a hold of the Thesians and their struggle was more to get a, a subspace message out, then we could have seen they more or less solve their own problem by you know, distracting him and all that. But yeah, this episode sucks. <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> yeah. We should be Star Trek writers. What are we doing with our lives? Come on. <laughs> We're just going to talk about Star Trek instead. Yeah. That's all right. I like it too. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's it. Uh, thank you all for joining us. If you'd like to um, ask us any questions, send us any messages, feel free. You can look us up on our website, thegeekfreakspodcast.com. Uh, hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, and join us next week for our next episode, season one, episode three, where no man has gone before. Away team to transporter room, two to beam out.